If you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Uh, the hope is to work all the way, work ourselves all the way through Acts 12 this morning, all 25 verses. Let me start here. <clears throat> the term injustice. Injustice is all around us. From pieces of prejudice to the fruits of racism, from the murder of civil servants to the slaughter of high schoolers, Christians being killed. in radical Islamic nations over their faith, and Christians overlooked for promotions because of their integrity. Politicians writing policies that they seem to not realize actually impact real people's lives. Cake bakers required to celebrate things they don't believe to be right. And the Holocaust of those yet to be born. The list goes on. Injustice is all around us. Some of us have experienced injustice from family members. Oftentimes, being willing to stand for the truth, we get crucified by our own families on the altar of their own sin. Some of us have experienced injustice in our workplaces because of the unwillingness to play the politics, to manipulate people, or worse, We are shunned. How are we supposed to live in such an unjust place? What does faithfulness look like for us to live in a place consumed with injustice? We say this phrase, justice, where is the justice? Where is the justice for that little girl? Or where is the justice for that race of people? Or where is the justice for these Christians? Would someone please serve up some justice? I want to ask you this question. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus... Is justice what God has served you for the wrongs you have committed? Let's read Acts 12. Today we'll read a few verses, talk about it, a few verses, talk about it. 
says this, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And justice is all around us. James has just been killed for his faith, and, and Peter, presumably, is about to be killed as well. The leaders, at this point, the leaders of the Christian church, some of the most faithful followers of Jesus, are now being put to death. And Peter, about to be put to death. This is not the first, de- first death we've seen of someone who's following Christ. Certainly we have the example of Stephen and his stoning. But now this continues. The persecution of God's people continues, and it will continue to, to rise. It will continue to get stronger. The question is, how do you persevere, persevere through something like this? How do you press on in sharing the gospel in the midst of this type of injustice? Whether you realize it or not, like, the injustice towards Christians in our nation is not going to get any easier. Like it's not going to get softer. Our children are not going to, you know, the next generation, the following generation, are going to grow up in a place much more hostile to the gospel than what any of us have ever experienced. I don't mean to be a pessimist. It's just, that's, that's the flow of human history. That's the way it works. Injustice is all around us. Listen, our world, here's why, at least part. Our world has no framework to legitimately serve justice for all people. Our world has no, it's not even possible for our world, even in America with this grand thing we call a constitution and all that stuff, it's not, we still don't have the ability, the framework to legitimately serve justice for all people. Why? Just a couple quick answers, particularly from this text. One, because the world has no ability to serve any king other than itself. The world cannot serve any king other than itself. Even in America, when you have a lost president or lost congressman, they can serve nobody but themselves. Listen, you see here that Herod wanted nothing but to serve Himself. It, it says, when seeing that it pleased the Jews. Listen, he, you'll see later, he's not, he's not serving the Jews. He's serving himself. The Jews serve his purpose. Serve to make much of him. You see, the world has no ability to serve any king other than itself. So if you can't serve any king other than yourself, are you going to be able to serve justice correctly no it's going to be defined by your idea of kingship second reason because the we have no framework to legitimately serve justice the world does not too because the world cannot discern what is right and wrong 
It cannot choose what is right and wrong. It doesn't have the ability to figure out what is right and wrong. You say, you say oh, but the law, you know, if you're going to get Christian on me here, uh, which may not be a bad thing, but uh, you say, well, but the law is written on their hearts. Yeah, but don't forget Romans 1. They have suppressed the truth. The world has suppressed the truth. So we can, we can't, the world cannot on its own decide what is right and wrong. Adam and Eve, in a spectacle of defiance, say to God, we don't need you, God. We can discern for ourselves, if you allow me to paraphrase, what is just and unjust. And so what happens is humankind sets out to determine justice apart from the one who is justice himself. And so from that, the world begins to label things injustice that are not injustices and then fail to label items injustice that indeed are. So then the question comes, okay, what, what defines justice in this world? What, what is setting the, the direction of justice and defining the terms for justice? The mob does. The mob determines what's just. Sometimes the mob is whoever has the loudest voice. Sometimes the mob is whoever has the most money or owns most of Wall Street. Sometimes the mob who is whoever does the most damage. Either way, the mob rules. This is what's happening here. The Jewish mob had the heart and therefore the ear of the king. And so because of this, another group of people was served in justice. Why? Again, because the world can't figure out what justice is. Just look all around us. What is so often justice for one group of people is almost always injustice for another group of people. Listen, what looks like justice for some is almost always injustice for others when men and women are driving the ship of justice. Again, the mob's definition runs the game. It runs politics. It runs that part of town. It runs that police chief. It runs this news anchor. It runs this blog. Now listen, when, when this happens, when, when justice is being defined wrongly, injustice works both ways. In this passage, both the ruling mob goes without punishment. That's injustice. The ruling mob of the Jews goes without punishment. That's injustice. Those on the wrong side of the mob get wrongful punishment. Namely, James's death, Peter's imprisonment. That's injustice. Both examples of injustice. And this is the world that we, lived in, we live in. James is killed by a sword simply because he loves Christ and is following Christ. The mob's kingdom, Herod's kingdom, is threatened... By this love of Christ. If I would have you write down something, I think you should write this down. The justice Herod needed to sustain his kingdom defined the injustice served to those who stood in the way. 
me say that again. The justice Herod needed to sustain his kingdom defined the injustice served to those who stood in the way. Ultimately, the world does not know how to fight injustice because it doesn't know justice himself. Injustice is all around us. Here's why. Second, injustice is all around us, and injustice always tests motivations. This would be a grace of injustice. This would be one of the good things that God brings about through injustice doesn't make injustice okay, but it's, it's a grace of injustice. Injustice always tests motivations. It always tests our motivations. Herod's motivation was his own glory, his own crown, his own kingdom. Peter and James, leaders of the Christians, had already been facing much injustice. Like You had to realize this didn't just come out of nowhere and surprise them without a chance to react. This persecution, this imprisonment. If anything, Peter would have saw this coming. But here's the reality. They saw it coming and they still pressed on. Like they saw the injustice coming. They were experiencing another measure of the injustice. They knew it was coming, but they still pressed on. They still persevered through the injustice. Leaders One of the things we see here must be prepared for persecution. Must be prepared to persevere. Motivations are always tested in injustice. Their motivations are being tested. Listen, if you want comfort, control, affirmation, power, you will not persevere in proclaiming the gospel through the injustice of this world. Why? Because whatever you're worshiping cannot handle the weight of that worship. Listen, if it's about you, okay, if, it, if your proclamations, if you're proclaiming, if you're fighting against injustice, if you're proclaiming the good news of Jesus to set all captives free, if it's about you, you're doing that for you, then the gospel becomes dispensable. It becomes something you can take or leave in any given conversation. If the gospel is a means to your end, then, it is, then the means become your decision. You get to choose. On the flip side, if you want the glory of God, you will pers- persevere in proclaiming the gospel to the injustice of this world. Why? Because, because wanting the glory of God, wanting to worship Him and live faithfully, that, that can handle the weight of your worship. If it's about God, then the gospel is indispensable. The gospel doesn't become something you can take or leave. Because the gospel is the only means to glorifying God. And this was James, this was Peter. Injustice tests our motivations. Maybe that has something to do with our lack of fervor in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. 
I'm going to ask this question again later. But I wonder if so much of our choosing, whether or not we're going to proceed in sharing the gospel, if that is driven by our trying to avoid injustice. So I'm going to say this to this person, and I know, I think, they're going to respond this way, or they're going to respond this way, and that will cause injustice in my life. They might look down on me, they might think less of me, they might uh, judge me this way, or they might put me in this camp of people, they might... They might overlook me for a promotion. They may not want to talk to me at lunchtime. They, all these various forms of injustice. Could that be what's driving what we say and when we say it and how we say it? Let's read on, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door Regarding the prison, if you don't miss the point here, the point is he was well guarded, okay? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you. And follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. As you've heard me say already, injustice is all around us. It's hard, and the reality is, is again, injustice is just going to keep on pace. What are we to do? We must follow God through the injustice. We must follow God through the injustice. You say, no, we got to fight for justice. We got to fight the injustice. Well, that, yes. But you can't fight for justice if you're not following God through injustice. Listen, if you are at the mercy of injustice, that's where Peter is at right now. Follow God through it. If you're at the mercy of another's injustice, or you know someone at the mercy of another's injustice, follow God through it. Trust Him. Look at Peter. It's interesting here, the, the dynamic, and he didn't have this like incredible faith to the extent that, yes, God is delivering me from this place, right? What's he do? He, he stands back, he goes, I, 
I don't even know if this is really happening or not, right? Is this, I mean, he's already, I understand, he's already seen visions, right? He's got the vision of the, of the, of the blanket coming down with the animals. So this would not be out of the realm of possibilities that God would be speaking to him in a vision in the middle of the cell. But he didn't know if what was happening was real or not. But he trusted God. He didn't know if he was dreaming, but he trusted God. He still followed. He still trusted. He still walked with God in the midst of his injustice. Listen, sometimes following God through injustice means fighting against it. Sometimes it means running from it, but it always means trusting Him through it. Always. Sometimes we must fight. Sometimes we must run. But we always must trust. You want to help a brother or sister or a fellow mankind through injustice. Help them trust God through it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't fight for it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't. I'm not not saying this is not an either or. It's more of an order of priorities. Trust God through it. And then what does it look like to move through it. Peter trusts God. He moves through the injustice. Here's what we need to realize. This is part of why we must trust God through injustice, is that God's providential care in injustice doesn't always look the same, but it is always right and good. God's providential care in, in injustice doesn't always look the same, but it's always right and good. Sometimes God sends physical rescue from injustice, from physical injustices or even emotional injustice and such. Sometimes God sends rescue. That's what he did for Peter at this point, right? He sends an angel to rescue him from this great injustice. I mean, imagine the scene. I mean, like he is well guarded and the angel comes and says, look, dude, get your clothes on. We're getting out of here. And they walk out of this place. But later, he won't do this for Paul. Paul will sit in a jail cell for a long time. Sometimes God sends us to rescue people from physical injustice. I think of care for the poor as an example here. Listen, sometimes people reach a state of poverty because of bad decisions. Sometimes it's because of injustice. But oftentimes, no matter how they reach a state of poverty, oftentimes they are stuck there because of injustice. Because someone won't listen to their voice. So sometimes God sends physical rescue from injustice. Sometimes He sends us to do this. But God always sends heart and mind rescue from injustice. For those who are His children, He always sends soul rescue, if you will, from injustice. I mean, even think back to Colossians, when he's instructing those who are, who are to be submissive to their masters and stuff. And he, 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 What's he go after there? He, Paul goes after how their heart is interacting with the Father and trusting the Father through e- potential injustice. 
God always does that for his children. Peter here, again, doesn't know whether this was a dream or it was real. Was he just imagining this angel? Or was he really walking right out of the jail cell? Is this really happening? I mean, Peter, I understand, Peter's got to be sitting there going, death has come upon me. He just saw James murdered. Death has come upon me. Notice Peter's questioning, but his obedience. Like, they fit together some crazy way. He didn't know exactly what was happening. That's what I mean by kind of questioning, going, what's, what's really happening? What is God doing? So he didn't quite understand really what was happening exactly, but, but he trusted God. Listen, Peter's heart at this point was in a posture of trust, so much so that even at the prospect of fiction, he would still follow God through. God had sent heart, soul, rescue for Peter. This is where he was resting at. He wasn't resting on the, on the floor of the jail cell. He wasn't resting in, in someone to break his chains and get him out of there. He, wasn't re- he was resting knowing that God was in control. This is his place. This is his time. This is his plan. And so when the angel comes, he goes, okay, I'll go. There's, there's no seeming like hesitation here. He follows the angel and he leaves. He's set free. Now what's interesting is that even though this injustice is temporarily put aside, it will continue, right? The injustice will continue. So, you understand is that he's following God, and this doesn't mean the end of the injustice. It just means the end of the, the current circumstances surrounding the injustice. But here's what I want you to see is that Peter trusted God. Listen, believers trust in God, right? I mean, I know that's not profound. We should know that. But when it comes to injustice, believers trust in God. He gives strength to endure suffering and boldness to continue proclaiming the gospel. I was reminded by a book I was reading this week of Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. (laughs) If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace of injustice. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, underline that right there if you write in your Bible and take your pen and write on your iPad. But if not, be it known to you, O king. (laughs) Just think of the, the allegiance to the true God at this moment in the face of the king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, we trust God. 
in the face of your injustice, O King. We trust God. We will follow God through the fire of your injustice. Again, you want to be sure that you're helping yourself, helping someone through injustice. We must trust God. Again, sometimes that trusting God results in fighting against it. Sometimes it results in fleeing from it. Sometimes it results, but it always results in trusting the Lord through it. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but what's it say? But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. What were they doing? They were trusting God. They were trusting God through the injustice. They were walking with Him through the trial. They were petitioning on Peter's behalf. There seems to be no evidence here that they could physically rescue him. I mean, see how well he was guarded. But they could pray for him and they knew the power of prayer. They trusted God. They understood the power of prayer. See, believers trust in God. Specifically in this context, specifically in thinking about injustice, believers trust God and must trust God with the future. With the future. Even if you are fighting injustice on behalf of another, if you are doing it in sin... You will commit more sin in the process. I'm going to flesh this out for the next few moments. If you're not trusting God with the future, chances are you're going to fight injustice on behalf of another sinfully. Here's the reality. If you do it trusting and hoping in yourself, to bring about the change that needs to be brought about. You will likely spin things to get it done. You will use people to get it done. What will you do? You, you'll end up doing injustice to other people in the process. You will do injustice towards another for the sake of justice for the other. We have to rest and trust in the Lord. And we'll talk about why in a few moments, but trust in the, the, the future, the, the, the justice that He will bring if we are to walk in the Spirit as we desire to bring justice for other people. Listen, the believers knew that they would participate in God's judgment of the world. This future judgment. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, the first part says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? I don't have time to explain that, but there seems to be some indication from Paul that believers will be some part of bringing justice to the world. Some part of judging the world and seeing justice brought to the world. So we must 
must trust God with the future. Look in verse 20 with me. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. How's that for a story? Listen, after only three or four years on the throne, he is punished for taking divine credit. Now certainly not all enemies of God, which is what he's described as here. You understand that this, this picture is the, this passage is the picture of someone who is an enemy of God. So this enemy of God faces instant death. But not all enemies of God face instant death, right? I mean, Paul, for much of his life, was an enemy of God. Herod here was an enemy to the throne of God. But notice that it wasn't the injustice that took Herod's life. It wasn't that that, that he, is, he is punished for here. It was the praise of man as though Herod was God. Look at the beginning, the beginning of this passage as well. Look at verse 2. He, being Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. What's going on here? What's going on in verse 2? It was the praise of the people. What is, what, what's the, why, why would you crave the praise of people? Why would you crave their affirmation? Why would you crave their approval? Why would you crave these things, right? Because you think you deserve it, which is what? pride it's pride Herod's when Herod got the praise of man it says he sought to take Peter and take his life also Herod's injustice towards Peter and James was the fruit of his pride he thought he was worthy to be worshipped by the people as God that's what they were saying to him right they're saying Hail this king. It's not a man. It's a God. It's, it's a deity. It's something to be worshipped. And Herod responds with, I, Herod, can decide what is right and good, what is just and unjust. Don't miss the connection here. Herod's pride leads to injustice. And here's the deal. If injustice is a fruit of pride, then there must be some measure of injustice inside each one of us, too. Because we all have pride. Pride leads to many bad things, but it certainly leads. injustice. 
And justice is all around us and inside us too. Let me give you some examples. When we shrug off another murder in a certain part of town saying, well, that's just the way it is over there. That's us. That's, that's the seeds of injustice inside us. When we yell at our children because they have inconvenienced us. Would you just stay in your bed? Injustice. When we pretend like there's no racial injustice in the world. It's a fruit of our pride and injustice inside. Here's another example. When we want something so bad, and there's this person or these people that stand in the way of us getting it, we begin to tear them down till we get them out of the way. We sacrifice that person or those people on the altar of our pursuits. Injustice. It's inside of us. We all do that. When we don't stand up for the immigrant because we idolize our safety, sure, safe, secure vetting, so on and so forth, not trying to say that there's an answer for exactly what that looks like. But here's the problem. We tend to idolize our own protection to the point of injustice for other people. You see, we too struggle with being perpetrators of injustice. But here's what happens. All of us. We prefer to live in ignorance of our own heart-perpetrated injustices because our injustices that we have that move out from us help validate our own kingdoms. This is what Herod is doing. Herod is saying, I have a throne that I must keep. In order for me to keep this throne, these Jews have to be happy. They were the loudest voice. They were the mob. In order for me to keep my throne, the Jews got to be happy, happy. What is in the way of me keeping my throne? Get rid of the Christians. Injustice. I have this agenda that I want to do with my life. And I think I'm right in discerning it. I'm prideful about it. I have this kingdom that I think is worthy of worship, and I want this kingdom to be validated. What's in the way of my kingdom thriving? Out comes injustice to the people around us. I'm going to serve injustice to that person that person who's trying to do parakaleo to me because the truth they are saying to me means I have to give up this part of my throne, this part of my kingdom. 
Injustice is all around us, but injustice is inside us too. Let me recap for us. We, injustice is everywhere. We are to follow God through injustice. And yet, injustice, just like Herod, is inside us as well. What? What are we to do? How do we respond? What do we, what do we, what do we do? Listen, the reality is that just like Herod, we were all once enemies. We were all enemies of God. All people who perpetrated injustice. And what we learn from this passage is that if you're on the wrong side of God, as Piper said, you lose. Your sin sends you to destruction. Listen, who cares about being on the wrong side of history? If you're on the wrong side of God, you're on the wrong side of history's eternal future. This passage shows us that if you're on the wrong side of God, you lose. And what I'm saying is that the Bible says we're all enemies of God just like Herod. Romans 5:10 says this, for if while we were sinners, or sorry, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God and he moves on by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Listen, we were all enemies of God. Let me read to you a quote from Jonathan Edwards. <clears throat> it's a paraphrase rather. Natural men. When he says natural men, he means those who are without the Spirit. Those who are not following God. Those who have not been redeemed. Which is all of us. Some of us still, but all of us at one point. He says natural men may be very great enemies to their fellow creatures. But not so great an enemy as they are to God. There is no other being besides God that so much stands in a sinner's way in those things that they chiefly set their hearts upon. So what he's saying is what men want, that there is no one who stands so much in the way as God does. So there is no other being besides God that so much stands in a sinner's way in those things that they chiefly set their hearts upon. Men hate their enemies in proportion to two things. The opposition to what they set their hearts upon and the power and ability of that opposition. He says this, A great and powerful enemy will be more hated than the one who is weak and impotent. But none is so powerful as God. You and I, he, he, he argues that you and I were enemies of God. Why? Because we, prior to the Spirit's work in those of us who are saved, prior to the Spirit's work, you and I were enemies of God because we hated God more than we hated anything else in this world. 
Because God, unlike anything else, could stand more in the way of the throne that you and I want. And so what do we serve up to God? Injustice. 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 What do we serve to His Son, Jesus? Injustice. But back to Romans 5, verse 10. How is it we were reconciled? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by what? Death. By death. Through death. Why death? Because enemies deserve death. We're reconciled through death. That was justice. Justice for an enemy of God is death. And we all were enemies. We all deserved death. It was by death that we were reconciled. Justice was served. There is no longer an injustice for these enemies. The injustice is gone. Justice has been served. There's no longer a payment needed for those who were enemies of God. The scales were balanced, if you will. The debt was paid. But here's the question. Whose death? Whose death? Who was served the just punishment that we deserved? Who? We forget this every day. It was Jesus. Jesus was served the justice that you and I deserved. He took it. His death was the justice. He took it all. Every last ounce. Every last ounce of wrath that was due to you and due to me because we were enemies of God, it was all taken, all taken by Jesus. I mean, look at that. Listen, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I get justice. We are served justice, and all is well, and we are reconciled with God. Isn't that amazing? No, it's not. It's not amazing because you and I didn't get an ounce of justice. We didn't get any justice in the gospel. God got justice. Jesus took our justice. And what did we get? We got grace. We didn't get justice. We got grace. We deserved death, but we got life. Jesus took our death, and we got life. So here's the question. How do we walk with God through injustice? Listen, as recipients of grace, 
we don't pray that people get what's coming to them. We pray that God would show them grace. For those just like ourselves who peddle injustice, we can trust God. Justice will be served. Justice will be served. It will be had. It will come. It will come in one of two ways. It will either come for each and every person through the death of Jesus on their behalf, or it will come as they bear their own sins in hell for all of eternity. Justice will happen. Our privilege For those of us who have not received justice but got grace instead, our privilege is we get to take that same gospel to those people. All of them. Listen, do you want to fight injustice? Start with the injustice of your own heart. Every time you and I sin, we test grace. What an injustice. Jesus died for that sin. He took what was justice for that sin so that you could have grace. Start with the injustice of your own heart. Second, we want to fight injustice. Only the gospel can fix the injustice of our world. You realize that? Our good deeds won't ultimately fix injustice. Our protests won't ultimately fix injustice. Our laws and policies won't ultimately, will not ultimately fix injustice. Not that we shouldn't do these things. We should. And they're appropriate places and ways. But it will not ultimately fix the injustice. Why? Because the injustice is a heart problem, not a physical hand problem only. And what can fix the heart? Only the gospel can. Only the good news of Jesus can fix it. Only the good news of Jesus can rescue your soul. All of humankind since Adam and Eve have been enemies of God, full of injustice. But Jesus took the justice that was due us. The death we deserve so that we could have grace. Listen, trust in Christ sets us free. It sets the world free from the sin of trying to determine what is just on our own and sets us free to trust God who is indeed justice Himself. Without the Gospel, we can't trust God who is justice Himself. And listen, only God has the ability to determine what is truly just for all people. Only He can rightly divide that for us, for our country, for our neighbors, for our families. Only God can determine what is right and good for all people who have ever walked this earth or laid in a mom's womb. But I want to encourage you, I want to push you with something here. Our calling in this world, we certainly want to see justice. As Justice is something that, that God Himself loves and is about. If, there, if God wasn't 
committed to justice, then there would be no cross. He's committed to justice. And God will get justice. And sometimes we need to fight for justice. But I would encourage us, let's not settle for justice. Let's settle for grace. Let's push for grace. And the only way for grace is through the good news that Jesus died and took what was justice for you and for me. So how are you to persevere in sharing the gospel to everyone through the injustices of this world? How are we to do that at work and with our family, with our kids, with our classmates? How are we to persevere and sharing the gospel through injustice. I think it'll only happen when the Holy Spirit convinces you that Jesus took your justice so that you could have grace. Listen, Peter, Peter and James, right? Injustice, 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 injustice. You, I mean, not that they were like asking for it, but they're sitting there going, you know what? I'm okay. You know why I'm okay? Because I got grace. That's why I'm okay. You know why I can follow this angel? Because I got grace. Because my ultimate death, you might kill me right now, Herod, but the only death that ultimately matters is the one before a holy God. I not only avoid death before that throne, but I'm granted life. True life. At that throne. So serve me all the injustice you want. Because I got grace. I got life. And when the Holy Spirit convinces you that Jesus took your justice so that you could have grace, you will persevere in sharing the gospel to everyone through the injustice of this world. You will see that all those around you are in such desperate need to hear this same truth. Listen, justice must be served for your life. And it will happen one of two ways. But listen, here's the good news of Jesus. He took your justice. Believe in Him. Verse 24 says this, as a result of all of these things, The Word of God, but the Word of God, in light of everything that just happened, the Word of God increased and multiplied. The church grew. The church grew in the midst of injustice. The church fruited in the midst of injustice. The the church was more in love with the Christ, with Christ, the the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the sharing of this news with more people in the midst of injustice. Why? They weren't afraid of the injustice of this world because they had grace. Let's pray. I pray that you would convict us of the injustices of our own heart, the pride that births 
these injustices. Lord, I pray that you would help us to start there, understanding that we need the gospel to set us free from the pride that fruits this injustice in us. And the breakest of this pride where we would say to you humbly, Father, I'm sorry, I have no ability to determine on my own what is good and right and wrong and evil and what is just and unjust. Father, I need you to do that. And humbly seek your face and knowing what that is. And then, Father, then help us to see by your Spirit where we were called to fight against injustice and where we're called to encourage people with the gospel and with, in, through injustice. And help us to trust you in all these things. Father, I pray that ultimately the goal, that the, the, that the result of this passage would be that each of us would leave with greater fervor to proclaim the good news of Jesus. The one who suffered at the injustice, at the hands of our injustice. To set us free by paying the justice due for us so that we can have grace. I ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?